Hello guys, welcome to the Cryptonary Podcast. Today I'm here with Norbert from Synthetify, with Kareem, our researcher and co-founder, and with Bill, our Solana expert. And we're going to talk about synthetic assets on Solana. Cryptonary's hosts and guests are not registered financial advisors. All opinions are Cryptonary's alone. Nothing discussed in the podcast should be considered as investment advice or should be relied on upon investment decisions. This podcast is purely for information and entertainment purposes only. Now I've said all this, let's go. Welcome, guys. Hey, nice to meet you guys. Lovely to be here. So uh, how's everyone doing? I mean, if, if we if we look at Solana, it's been a great couple of days for everyone. I think if, if, you, if you've got any exposure to the Solana ecosystem, it's it's been Solana summer, as uh, most people have dubbed it. Yeah, I agree. And uh, it must also be uh, nice for you, Norbert, seeing the Solana ecosystem play out uh, today and uh, this whole week. Yeah, yeah. Solana seems that there was some, you know, like, apparent disappointment. Like, every time something happened on Solana, there was, like, you know, big crash. Uh, and I remember when I was trying to, you know, do the IDO, the, like, market crash from, like, 60k to 30k. And it seems like, you know, there is a reverse, like market is not, let's say, doing great, but the Solana summer is still happening. Interesting. And could you uh, tell us who you are, Norbert, and how you got into crypto? I'm actually like, uh, uh, let's say, blockchain dev. I'm still a student, finishing master's, by the way. And I was honestly like really interested in like the centralized systems, the stuff that we can build. Of course, like Bitcoin and Ethereum were important push for me and i basically like decided right after i finished uh, my bachelor's that i want to work with a blockchain so uh, i joined a project on zcash called zbay and i worked there for a while i I think this is currently like a biggest project on zcash but for me it was let's say too simple i was more interested in like finance defi and that's you know like what really kicked me when was this? Because Zcash is a pretty old uh, project, right? Like around it 2017? Was like, uh, it was like two years ago, two, three years ago uh, that I was working there. I see. I-, I want to ask as well that you said you have a uh, background. So you did a bachelor's and now you're doing your master's. Was that in computer science? Was it something else? Yeah, yeah. So I- I'm like, I have like, let's say, really strong computer science background. So my bachelor's was actually in computer science. And now I'm finishing master's in data analysis and system modeling. <laughs> By the way, my master thesis is about Solana, so that's cool. Ah, oh, lovely, lovely. I want to ask as well, uh, I know you said you worked for a couple of years on Zcash and things. Was that, did you take a break? So was it after, you know, you graduated and you worked a bit and you realized crypto is really interesting, this is what I want to do, and then you were back for a mm-hmm. master's to get better? Or is there a story there? Is there anything interesting as to how you ended up with your own idea on Solana? Yeah, so I, I worked on Zcash for like about a year, uh, something like that. And this is like in the middle, in the meanwhile, where I was, you know, studying. For me personally, it's no problem to like work and, uh, you know, study. For me, studies are really simple, especially if you are interested in like doing, you know, programming stuff. So I never have any like problems, like yeah, passing exactly. the subjects. And yeah, it was like about a year at that time, you know, it was, let's say, my only alternative to like get into the blockchain job. 
since mm. most of the projects like didn't want to employ somebody straight out of uh, you know out of the bachelor's, especially if he's like still studying. I actually mm. sent a couple of CVs to like the companies in Switzerland, and they just started you know after the hackathons to, to respond. <laughs> this is kind of too late right now. Oh wow! Oh, I see. So you've done your you know you've done let's say the hands-on experience while you've done your bachelor's. And then we get to, I think, because masters are one year, if I'm not wrong. It's it's a one-year masters you're on, right? One year and a half. Yeah, one and a half. So we, we're at like the point you're starting to do your masters now, and you've done that Zcash. Where is it that Solana starts coming in? Because I, I know you mentioned about the hackathon just now. Bit of a timeline there? Yeah, so uh, while I was working uh, on a Zcash, I decided like, hey, I don't want to work with Zcash anymore. I basically let's say, quit my job at that time, started working with like DeFi on Ethereum, but realized like, hey, this is too slow and I just don't want to work with this. You know, the solidity was messy. I'm still like laughing that they couldn't implement like overflow protection for like, I don't know, six years. And you, the first thing you have done when you write a contract, you were, you know, importing safe math from Zeppelin. So that's for me was like like weird. And, and yeah, I decided like, hey, I want to launch a blockchain company and try to do that on Ethereum. But I realized that's just no point, especially because of the gas and also the competition. So I look around and step on Solana. And at the I time, see. no one knew what the hell Solana was. You know, there was like this claim, like 50k transaction per second. And I, you know, like I checked like, hey, is this really true? Uh, mm. And it turned out that, hey, it's true. I participated in the first Solana hackathon and it was such a mess. No one knew how to code anything. And the stuff that we built was really messy. I actually yeah. did some Solana naming service. Okay. You know, like really early implementation that was, you know, just used by my own wallet. And it got me a third place at that, at that hackathon. Oh, no, lovely. Congratulations. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Can we just ask something? Because before, before we go further into the Solana sure. hackathon, uh, it's, it's a question that all of us have, especially as, you know, I, I've done some coding, but I'm nowhere near to the level that you are. What I want to ask is, you said that you didn't like the Solidity code and that you moved to Solana, and Solana's written in Rust, the smart contracts there. So... You know, as a developer, what is the is Rust easier to use than uh, Solidity? Is there a what's the learning curve like? Because for people, you know, we hear a lot of people say different opinions on these things, but it's hard to get someone who's had experience with both interfaces or both coding systems. So, what what do you think about uh, the Rust versus Solidity argument? Okay, so if we just compare like Solidity language versus the Rust language, I, I think the Rust language is. 10 times better or 100 times better. If we just compare the languages, the structure, the, how we you know interact with them, the safety of those languages, the, yeah. the stability, that kind of stuff. Um, the throughput, how quickly they process uh, numbers, how quickly yeah, they transactions. Yeah, basically so the, the performance also. Yeah, and in that case, you know, Rust is like 10 times, you know, like way ahead of the uh, solidity. Yeah, um, the, the, the reason I mention it is because the way I describe Solana to a lot of people is think of it like the graphics card on a computer when Ethereum is your CPU. So when you're doing so many transactions, it's really important that your code base can actually handle the transaction that you're asking it to do. 
So you have to have both the hardware and the software to match. And that's why I think they chose Rust for, for the Solana project, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, you know, it also like, it's easier to have like written a blockchain in the same language as the smart contracts, since there is like no barrier between them. Okay, interesting. Yeah, but, but uh, back to the point, like, if we now add this level of smart contracts, so if you get a Solidity in Ethereum and the Rust in Solana, yeah, the learning curve is much more difficult on Solana, and, and I can say that straight away. And this is just because the Solana architecture is much different from Solidity. I'm actually always joking that it's easier to make a Solana developer from like a normal developer instead of like from a Solidity developer. Just yeah. because... I just That's want I was... to ask that is yeah. do you think a lot of normal developers that have not interacted with blockchain yet will go first to Solana instead of Ethereum? Wait, before you ask the question, Norbert, just, just to add on an example, because when we say normal developers, that covers, you know, a huge amount of people. Can we define the developer? So if someone's, you know, if someone's finishes university and they've got a degree in computer science, so they have some coding knowledge, out of the two, let, let's look at someone new like a student, what, which one would they pick as a more concrete example? I would think that they would pick a Solana if we just compare like the languages. But because of the network effect of like how popular Ethereum is and, you know, Matic, Polygon, Binance Chain, then yeah, the, the network effect might be here and they, you know, might pick a Solidity just because, you know, this is just bigger ecosystem. But if we compare like the technologically, if they look like, hey, Solidity and Rust, they're going to pick Rust. I see that. That's really interesting. And I think now that we've looked at basically the infrastructure between Ethereum and uh, Solana, I think we need to compare the synthetic synthetics against Synthetify, I think. And that's the next logical question, isn't it? So Norbert, you mentioned you participate in the first hackathon, but you're not uh, like at the same place as you were then. So I wondered, how did you end up at Synthetify? Like, what's the story behind that? Yeah, you know, the first hackathon was a little bit of a mess because no one knew what they're doing. After the hackathon, I talked actually with like Solana folks, with Anatoly, with Serum folks. They basically told me like, hey, you should stay here and build something great on another hackathon. And so they kind of leaked, you know, some alpha that, hey, there is going to be another hackathon. And, and that's what I did. So at that time, I decided like, hey, I am stop working with anything on my job at that time and fully focused on Solana. I was still studying, but it was at the time that COVID hit, all the studies were online. So I got tons of free time. So I, I spent that on Rust, on Solana. I joined the Serum. I've seen that Armani is building uh, Anchor, which is right now a framework for Solana. And I was really interested and decided to use that for, for a second hackathon. So my initial plan was to build an Oracle system for Solana because this was something that a lot of people were missing and it's still kind of a loop in, in like Solana ecosystem, but we got pissed. But back to the point, when I looked at the how Anchor can be used to write a smart contracts, that the stuff, how it improved from a first hackathon to right now, like the weeks before the second hackathon, the anchor was like, for me, like miracle. And I think in like one hour, 
I wrote the oracle that I was, you know, supposed to be writing at two weeks. <laughs> so, I, so I decided just... like, hey, I, I can build much more. And, you know, I was, I'm like really interested in DeFi. I remember that synthetics was a, a thing and it was really lacking or suffering from networks problem. You know, the protocol itself was fine, but just because it was built on uh, Ethereum, it was, you know, really slow, painful and expensive to use. So I decided like, hey, let's try this on, on Solana. Uh, and that's what I did. Uh, on the second hackathon, I built, uh, let's say, kind of a copy of Synthetics. I, I'm not afraid to say that, but yeah, it was kind of a copy of Synthetics on Solana. Okay. Just for anyone listening who doesn't know what Anchor is, Anchor is a framework being developed by Armani Ferrante, and it's built to help streamline the development of smart contracts. It sort of simplifies the development of them. Norbert can give a little bit more detail on this as he has more technical knowledge than I do, but it helps developers streamline their process. And as you heard, it makes works really rapid. Yeah, I think the, the Anchor like really bootstrap the projects. I think like Cyber, Parrot, and all the major projects that are coming to the network are using it. I'm, I'm thinking that I was the first one that was using that, and I'm a little bit falling behind right now in releasing the product. But I think that Synthetify is a much more complex system, so I just need more time. You've you got to make sure that when you release, you do it right, especially with the, the way that we've seen releases happen in the Solana ecosystem. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen uh, quite a lot of botched releases, and the blowback on the projects hasn't been great or on the chain. And I think we saw, it, were you around? Did you see the, the Gen Ape Academy drop, Norbert? Yeah, I, I was. I'm honestly like super skeptical about the NFTs. This is definitely not, let's say, space that I see a value in, like, let's say, holding the NFTs. I think like the trading or exchanging or giving somebody NFTs is a cool concept. But, you know, aping into some random images into on, you know, Ethereum or Solana is probably not something that I'm interested in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's everyone's, everyone's got their own opinion on NFTs. I was more directing it towards when they had, you know, they had the, they scheduled the release, it fails you to whatever issues they had. And then they did another schedule that failed as well. And the, I saw a lot of the Solana developers got behind them and tried to help them get things up to speed. I so, believe even Anatoly yeah. himself stepped in there to like, uh, I heard that. I'm not sure if it, it was true, but they claimed that Anatoly uh, was helping them with the second launch. But yeah, <laughs> there was a lot of outrage about it. So yeah, definitely take your time before you release anything. I think that's the best course of action. Yeah, I think they, I don't know what their exact problem was, but I seem like their just website went down and there was some mistakes on the server side. So I think, it was just, let's say, lack of expertise or just trying to do, you know, just to get on this NFT train uh, too fast. Yeah, I, I still think that, you know, if they waited like a little bit longer and get everything ready, it will be much more pleasant experience for all the users. Yeah, you uh, mentioned you uh, started Synthetify and that you called it a sort of copy of Synthetics, but I wonder if you could explain our listeners a bit more about what Synthetify is so we have a better idea. Yeah, so I, I told that the project on Hakatan was a little bit copy of Synthetics since I didn't have, let's say, time to design everything from scratch. So I, I just, you know, took a 
basically most of the stuff from Synthetics White Paper and created in on Solana. But since then, we really evolved. Uh, right now, I think we are more similar towards the maker than uh, a synthetics. But everybody will probably make their opinion soon when we launch. Yeah, I, I can talk a little bit like what even Synthetify is right now, since we really evolved from a hackathon and, you know, we are kind of getting ready to launch on mainnet. Yeah, what can I do on Synthetify as a user? Yeah, so basically, main idea is to provide easy access for any synthetic assets to be built on top of on top of Solana. So this includes like crypto assets and also uh, stocks and other stuff like indexes or even baskets or uh, other stuff. We are basically only limited by the oracles. So if you have a rock oracle or let's say specific assets like uh, Bitcoin, you can put collateral uh, inside the Synthetify and mint the specific synthetic and then use it to, you know, wherever you want. Uh, this is still like SPL format, so like standard Solana format of the token. So you can send it to Radium. It will work greatly on Serum. So you are good to go to integrate with like other programs. So uh, to be clear, just for anyone to keep up to date, when I deposit and I decide to mint Bitcoin, I'm not creating a new Bitcoin. I'm kind of, I'm creating a token that represents what I've deposited as a share of Bitcoin. I don't own Bitcoin, if that makes sense. Yeah, you I don't own the underlying. Asset, which is exactly, so that, that's the key concept here. You don't yeah. own the underlying. So, it's a representation of it, correct? Yeah, yeah so, that, that's right. Uh, but in terms of like having, a, let's say, wrapped Bitcoin or synthetic Bitcoin, both of the cases, like you kind of don't hold this Bitcoin, but you still are exposed for a price changes of this asset. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's you know, just like derivatives. Um, at the end of the day, synthetic assets are derivatives and you're just deriving yeah, the price yeah. from the underlying. Yeah, that's right. So we on Synthetify are really focused to not make mistakes as a synthetics did with like front running, uh, you know, arbitrage using price oracles, problems so, like settlement. So, so what you're looking is to avoid, if, if you remember back in the day, synthetics had the issue where someone at Chainlink accidentally mixed up the price feed for gold and silver. And gold, I think, is trading around $2,000 per ounce and silver was at $20. So suddenly when they switched them around, you could buy you know, silver for $1,800 and you could buy gold for $24 because they just got the oracles wrong. So it's something like that, which you mentioned that you want to avoid these types of uh, problems or exploits, correct? Yeah, this is probably like the least, you know, exploit that I was looking for. I was yeah, more that, that looking was for, human error, wasn't uh, it? for front running issues or arbitrage caused by, you know, just manipulating the oracles. That was I. That's so that, that would be, just to explain that, if your oracle was taking the price from the Serum order book, or not even the Serum, let's say it was taking it from a smaller decentralized exchange on Solana. So for example, uh, Solape, which doesn't have a lot of liquidity. And if it was taking the price from there, someone could go and buy a huge amount of Solana there and pump up the price just on that decentralized exchange above what is in every other market. But because your Oracle is taking that price, that error would be reflected on the Synthetify, correct? Yeah. And that would then create right. the arbitrage opportunity. So that's what you're trying to avoid. 
Yeah, I wondered what are your plans to avoid these issues? Do we already have a clear vision there? Yeah, so this is actually like the first thing that we solved in comparison to synthetics. So main focus like was to prevent the front running and also the arbitrage. And this is mostly done by updating Oracle's every single block. Solana is much more performant than Ethereum. So instead of like getting updates every hour, I, I think like on chaining you get updates every hour. On Solana I you mean, get every like half a second. So isn't this this is the block time argument, isn't it? Because if you update the price every block, Solana will do it half a second, like you said. Ethereum is capped at the smallest time it can do it if it publishes it every every block is twelve seconds, correct? Yeah, but no one can afford publishing uh, exactly. prices. <laughs> I just wanted to touch back. So, you know, we explained the human error, which I, you know, I said the gold silver example. And then I gave an example of how you can manipulate an oracle by, you know, if it takes a source from a exchange. The other thing you said was front running. And I know there's been a lot of discussion about front running and minor extractable value on Ethereum. But in Solana, I never worried about it because Solana has near instant finality. So I was trying to work out, can you even front run a trade on Solana? Is that possible? Okay, so I wouldn't say that you can do that. If you are a normal user, then probably not. But if you are a validator, then I would say there is a chance. There is a chance. I'm not saying that, you know, it's definitely possible, but there is still like a chance to, to do that. Uh, but validators have much less control over the network and they have like, I don't know, two seconds of control over a network. So it's yeah, much narrower window of like opportunities to do that. The reason I asked about that is because, you know, on Ethereum, it's the, the MEV that comes about is from someone talking to a miner and getting them to validate their block first or their transaction first. In Solana, because the validator rotates, I didn't think that would ever be an issue. It's, it's good to hear that that it'd be extremely hard to do. Yeah, so, yeah. and it's connected both in like sub-seconds intervals. So, for example, on, on Ethereum, you got like, let's say, 12 seconds to analyze transaction, build some other transaction and publish it to the miner. But on Solana, you have like half a second to do all of that things. And also the arbitrage, like window and amount is much smaller than on Ethereum. It might be just not economically viable to do that yeah i think that that that's why i got to when i looked at it quickly and it's i didn't go into it with as much detail as you did here but when i read through the solana architecture and things that's i, I was pretty sure that you wouldn't have mev in the form that we find in ethereum nowadays with transaction ordering and you know things like that anyways before we get too technical back to synthetify before i keep asking more questions yes i wondered you mentioned already a bit uh, how you're gonna try to difference yourself from synthetics but are there more like changes you made to like put yourself in another place as synthetics as a as like it's basically the same product so what are the things that differentiate it i would say like three months ago we were pretty similar product. Right now, I don't think so. We are more like a mix of Maker and Synthetics, if we have to compare to that. Uh, okay, to the just just um, to clarify before that, when you said similar, I think what you mean is similar, but better. In terms of when I say better, I mean, you, didn't, you fixed all these issues that you had with the oracles that we just went through. You had quicker latency, you had basically zero fees. 
So at that point, it was just, could we say, just a faster Synthetify? Yeah, faster, cheaper. Yeah, I think that and safer and safer. And then you started building what you say that now it's going in a, this is like the the difference with Synthetify. So this is like the extra stuff. Cool, cool. I'm excited to hear about this now. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so after we fixed those issues, we started like, hey, what are the other problems that might not be as apparent as they seem? So for example, I think all of the people that were interacting with synthetics were like, why I need to hold like 500 collateral ratio? Uh, And why I cannot deposit Bitcoin or Ethereum as a collateral? So that's what where we started like hey why don't we introduce a multiple collateral to the system and that's what we did so right now you can basically use an spl token as a collateral of course it needs to be you know validator by the administrator of the synthetify or by the smart contract but basically we are capable of using any asset as a collateral so this is really important if, if I'm getting this correct, because what you're saying is when when you have a synthetics, you can only deposit synthetics to start trading or creating these synthetic assets wherever you want. So you're forced to have exposure to synthetics. With Synthetify though, if I don't want to buy SNX or your token, I can decide to deposit SOL as collateral. So I keep my exposure to Solana. And when I put that in, I can then mint a synthetic based on the Solana I've deposited. So it means I have freedom to not have not be forced into a certain token purchase to access the synthetic assets. I have understood that correctly? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, and that, that's this, is, this is done not only because like we basically, you know, don't want to end up in like, you know, let's say locking entire supply of our token inside like the Synthetify platform or getting limited by the amount of Synthetify that can be used as a collateral, which is like a first point. And the other point is just that I am aware that Synthetify token is not as liquid and probably never be as liquid as uh, Ethereum or Bitcoin. And that's why we can use much more efficiently and get much more you know, liquidity to the platform by allowing other assets that are just basically much more popular and liquid. Yeah, I wondered, uh, Karim, you have used synthetics a lot. Uh, what do you think of uh, the choices he has made in terms of using other collateral? I think that choice is, is a brilliant one, to be honest, offering multi-collateral. But my question to you, Norbert, is what do you think a lot of the issues that you were able to solve were mainly because of Solana being more performant than Ethereum? What happens if Synthetics decides to go cross-chain? Or also, can these issues be solved by Synthetics on L2? And what does that, how will Synthetify sit if that's the case? The reason I'm asking is Synthetify is definitely improving upon Synthetics as far as a product, right? But we know how important users are and Synthetify is still new. So is that sort of a worry of yours? I think that's the ideology of uh, synthetics is pretty like connected with like Ethereum. So I don't think they are going to ever like cross chain to Solana or Terra or like any non Ethereum compatible project. And I think still, you know, they have ability to, let's say, deploy right now on Matic or Binance chain, but they are not doing that. I don't know why this is caused, maybe because like they just don't want to, you know, 
you know, do op- optimistic because they are really committed to like developing on optimistic. And, you know, this is probably like why I am not afraid. They're having this like idea of sticking to, you know, one direction and not changing or adjusting dynamically when something is changing. I, I was also like developing on Ethereum. At some point I realized that, hey, there is some other better system that we can really develop it. Why don't we try? I think that's that's like main idea. Kind of. Yeah, I agree with you there. I'm I'm excited to see like more financial products, you know, leveraging the power of Solana and building there. Haven't seen that too much yet. Like it's not widespread yet, I would say. A lot of the projects on there so far are very similar to projects that already exist on Ethereum. But again, it's still very early and innovation will only happen. It's not going to happen overnight anyway. Yeah, I also have like one more point to that is that Optimistic, if they launch on Optimistic, which yeah. they are trying to do, it's still the Optimistic network. Like why, you know, not everybody is going to launch there. There are other LT solutions like, you know, the Matic, the Arbitrum and a bunch of others like Stakewire. And, you know, if you want to have this composability with other projects, which, you know, Synthetics is really benefiting from, like, for example, a curve integration, it's really mm-hmm. great. And I'm uh, really impressed by that. You know, they kind of need to force a curve to develop or optimistic. And, you know, splitting this liquidity between all of those layer two yeah. platforms is going to cause some problems. And, you know, like most of the people, you know, like are familiar with like Ethereum, but they are not familiar with like moving from layer one to layer two or other like uh, networks. Yeah, this is still like some problem. The user, yeah, it's it's an overall problem with L2s, I would say. I mean, just that you're creating silos and they don't necessarily communicate with one another. And there's, you know, more than two. And it it is one of the issues with with layer twos at this moment in time when it comes to Ethereum, which isn't a problem on Solana. Again, for for anyone who, who needs to understand the difference between the layers one and layer two and what we refer to with compostability here, to explain this, everything in Solana, all the SPL tokens speak the same language. So, you know, everything's exactly the same. On Ethereum, everything speaks the same language because it's an ERC-20. When you start moving into the layer twos, however, it's more like the tokens of the layer twos are speaking the same language, but with a dialect or they have a very thick accent. So to facilitate all the separate layer twos and spread that liquidity, your users need to be familiar with all these little changes. And then you have coding issues and it's a it's a much more complicated problem than it just appears to be on the surface where you're like i'll just move on to layer two it's it's a bit more in depth technically wise sorry for interrupting but you know it's it's good to have a more simpler understanding of yeah of course these concepts in solana yes we have a podcast means... about layer two solutions as well so if you're yeah, interested in them you can learn there yeah, but in Solana, as we said, everything speaks the same language, so you have that compostability and everything. You know, it's what what you said earlier. Uh, wrapped Ethereum from Synthetify will work just like Wrapped Ethereum, which you've pulled pulled over from the wormhole. They'll both work the same on Radium. They'll both be speaking SPL, and Radium will understand them to be Ethereum. So that's the advantage of having everything on a layer one network and not having to move or to scale up. Yeah, yeah. I mean that is that is. An issue until like uh, you know scaling is uh, solved. Hopefully, whenever you know 
there there happens yeah, to but be if, if you're building without planning for scaling you're probably going to run into some issues down the line or if it works then it's going to be an issue i'd want to ask as well norbert because just listening back to it you you mentioned that we take multiple collateral in synthetify doesn't that in turn mean that you need multiple oracle feeds so with synthetify they only take snx so they only really care about synthetics price when depositing but with you as you take solana bitcoin etc you need feeds for all of these uh, tokens does that have an impact in any way actually no of course there's like complexity of the programming but actually we don't need more or- oracles and also the synthetics does not need more oracles and this is caused because if you want to support a synthetic bitcoin you still need an oracle for that so we are kind of smartly just reusing one oracle for collateral and also for a synthetic asset I see. Now, that leads to the other question. We've seen a lot of attacks happen with people exploiting those oracles. I know you said that you found solution to these. One of the attack factors which might be used is the collateral being used. How do you determine what collateral you'll accept? So Bitcoin, Ethereum, you know, they're straightforward. It's quite easy. You know, no one's going to be able to move the Bitcoin market in percentages because it's so liquid. Same with Solana, probably. Is there any way that someone could introduce an asset which they can manipulate? Because we've seen attacks happen like that. Because I know you said Synthetify is safer. Is this one of the things that you're referring to with that? Yeah, so I was mostly more focused on like the synthetic side. So, of course, synthetics need to uh, do a lot of research about the liquidity before they list anything. And that's because someone could mean, you know, 10 times more derivative on synthetics and then move the native market and to arbitrage. On Synthetify, we solve that by putting some kind of limits on amount of synthetic asset that you can mint. This is not going to impact, you know, big caps like a synthetic Ethereum or synthetic Bitcoin, but could impact some smaller coins. Like, for example, if we are going to list a Doge, then, yeah, I think the smart choice is going to be like, hey, let's not get too much depth in that coin. So let's put it like some limits, like let's say 5% of a depth could be in that coin. And that kind of solves this issue. Now, ju- just to follow up on that, so you said you pick Doge. If I was to say, let's say, let's pick a new Solana token, let's say BOP. You can do your own research about BOP if you want, but it's a very small Solana coin and it's not that liquid. Would there be a way, like, what are the thresholds for you to decide we can use this as collateral? And who, who makes that decision? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so right now, let's say I'm responsible for that and uh, other folks that are working with me. Yeah, so definitely, like, main cause for right now is not, let's say, focus on those smaller coins. We, we still don't list the uh, big ones. But if we want to list uh, smaller ones, uh, like you mentioned, for sure, we'll be starting from a uh, synthetic version and if synthetic version starts to you know get more liquid there are going to be you know popping up new markets for that and people are going to be interested in that uh, then we are going to start slowly increase like the amount that you can meet so amount of a depth yeah. that we can hold in that token and then down the line if everything starts to you know checks out this project is starting to you know get more evolved the solana ecosystem is starting to you know get familiar with it and starts to expect that we should list it listed as a collateral then we start with listing 
And also we have uh, special parameters like collateral ratio. So we'll be starting with like low collateralization ratio, like 5%, yeah. 10%, 20%, 50%. And, you know, see what is happening. If there is going to be some kind of arbitrage, someone is abusing Synthetify in some ways, then we are going to, you know, step up and lower the collateralization ratio or even the least. Okay. Yeah, I see. Lovely. No, that, that that's I know it's a, it's a very future thing, but it seems like you've thought about it very well because Oracle attacks have been, not Oracle attacks, just attacks have been in fashion lately. I've just looked through my notes on the previous stuff because I had a bit of time while uh, Kareem was speaking. The other thing I want to ask about is we, we, we were talking about the tokens. And I know that you, like you said that you decided to mint however you've minted the tokens because to not be capped by the supply. I know, I think, Kareem, do you have any questions on the tokens either, on you know, how the tokens are distributed and how they could impact things? Or yeah. is there a chance for voting maybe? Just in, in general, regards to the SNY token? The vision there, yeah. I do have a few questions when it comes to the SNY token. And the first one is, it's really related more to the Solana ecosystem because it's a trend that we've been seeing quite often where a new project launches with a new token and then you have a very low percentage making it to the circulating supply and a very high FDV, fully diluted valuation. And I'm always curious in regards to what the motivation is behind that. I think the idea is pretty straightforward. On first case, you got like ICOs that were raising like 40 millions or 50 millions and Basically, they were flooded with money to, and they didn't know what to do with the money. So they often like, you know, reinvested them in other ICOs or started trading or do some random stuff with that and didn't basically deliver anything for a couple of years. And on Solana, this trend is a little bit different. So uh, projects often start with like, you know, getting a couple of percent from uh, VCs, building up the product. Uh, launching a token a little bit earlier before the platform or even in the middle of the platform and starting like uh, a liquidity mining straight away or IDO that is initially distributing uh, uh, tokens. Of course, like the initial distribution is much lower. You get like a couple of percentage over entire supply. But projects want to, you know, hold those, let's say, money or reserves for the worst times if the mer market hits or they need more money for development and still a couple of, you know, most of the projects are raising like, you know, one, two million, something like that. And it's way more than enough to get the project to the MVP or like the minimal version to launch it, to, you know, give people ability to experience it. And then usually a lot of tokens is distributed via, via liquidity mining or some kind of airdrops. And I think this is this is something that most of the people uh, thought, and also I'm I'm seeing this that way. There is no need for me to raise like you know 50 million and sell half of the supply to the public, you know, and, and me to hold like 50 million because th- there is no way I could spend that. I you know I raised some small amount of money. There is way more than enough to you know get us to the mainnet. And then most of the tokens are probably going to be distributed via some partnership, cross cross integration, liquidity mining, that kind of stuff. I wanted to ask about the liquidity mining because one of my fears, so to say, that I've seen with uh, other projects is that you have this 
emission schedule that's high and it makes staking really attractive. And then suddenly the emissions fall off a cliff and the people who are watching it, they see this coming and they sell and then the emissions drop off. So people want to sell because they're not making as much from the, you know, from the liquidity mining. Is there any reason that you chose liquidity mining? Is there any way that you're addressing this specifically to avoid something like this? You know, what was your train of thought when you planned out your liquidity mining? Because it's at, it's around 10%, isn't it? Yeah, so we launched some small liquidity mining, let's say, already on, on Radium. And this is to, you know, get us some liquidity and some market to allow us to build an Oracle, you know, to have ability to listen that by uh, as a collateral. But uh, getting, you know, for me, numbers in uh, white paper are really flexible. And I think most of the projects shouldn't like stick to them that, hey, this is like 10% and nothing more, no, <laughs> no more coins here. And I think that's a little bit dumb. You need to be flexible. The market is constantly changing. And for example, if the bear market hits, you don't want to, you know, like cut a liquidity mining in the middle of the bear market. That's probably not a smart idea. So it's better to, you know, reallocate some reserves, some other, let's say, marketing tokens towards that. Yeah. So for me, like this 10% is not like final number. If I need to move some parts of tokens to liquidity mining, I will do it. Because I'm focused on like getting this platform running and I will see what is going to happen. If the liquidity mining is like, let's say, not popular or is not benefiting us, then I will probably cut it straight away. But if this is going to, you know, it's constantly benefiting us, there's new people, new money, people are trading, the integrations are moving forward, then I'm going to increase the liquidity mining because it's just working. Why I am going to, you know, cut it? just because we run out of this 10%. I see. I want to ask, because I know on the white paper as well, it says that the total supply is uh, 100 million. It also says that it's there will be inflationary and you have governance decisions. Are these things that down the line, you know, so you get up and running, which is, I think you're launching sometime soon, aren't you? So the product's working and then you're seeing it grow and you've got pretty stable numbers. It's working fine. At what point do you think and decide that I'm going to decide that the governance and inflation rates and emissions should be given over to the stakers or the holders of the token? Where's the threshold for that? And when, when do things go from you deciding to the community deciding, if, if that makes sense? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would love to answer that question, but there is no simple answer. I think once we have good like DAO or governance program built on Solana, then it's going to be much easier for us to you know migrate into fully decentralized governance. I think like Mango guys are testing already like the let's say beta version yeah, of that. Yeah, they, they had a. It was a bit rough, but it works and it's. It, they'll develop it. I mean, there's a need for it. All the projects want governance, and then you've got Cope as well which had a G-Cope or X-Cope, I don't remember what it was called, but that they used a one-to-one switch ratio to create a governance token to vote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I think that could be uh, done. You know, like there is tons of solutions that are just starting. I don't think I'm in a position that I should be rushing a governance. I definitely have, a, yeah. you know, a lot of ideas 100%. that are going to be much easier 
to implement and to move forward if I'm still, let's say, in control of the synthetic of the development. But once I think, you know, the platform is established, uh, the people are interested, involved, and there is no need for me to, let's say, be captain of the ship, uh, then, yeah, uh, we'll be starting to move uh, probably slowly towards like DAO, which will be probably starting in some forms of a multi-signature and then down the line to like full decentralized DAO via voting, uh, via Synthetify. Yeah, that, that makes sense. The The other question I had is just regarding reserves. When you say reserves, these are things that you were saying that you keep locked away for a bear market for further development. Those reserves, do you store them somewhere? Is it just, you know, I, I have them in the wallet? How does that work? Just Because it's really interesting because you see all the white papers and you don't know what the projects are actually doing. Mm -hmm. So I've got a chance to ask. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Maybe I start with like a little bit of story. So I was actually a first guy that decided like, hey, we should use some vesting contract on Solana. Actually, a Bonfida build, a, build one. So... When I was, you know, sending tokens to the investors, I was using a, a vesting contract. And I think a day after we finished sending a tokens, I got a message from Volfida, hey, this contract is bugged and you need to migrate a token. And that's what I did. Like I, I reused a new uh, fixed vesting contract to, to distribute a, a token. And I think that was a good choice. Yeah, so... Tokens that are going to the people that, let's say, I don't have control over. For example, investors, team members are basically vested by the smart contract. So there is no way for me to like change that. But the tokens that, let's say, are in control of like the Synthetify, which I have, let's say, direct control, are unlocked. So even if though there yeah. is, you know, vesting on on, you know, the graph in white paper, those are not like, let's say, locked by the smart contract. And I think this is done just because there is just no reason for me to lock them. I'm not going to like, because, uh, you yeah, know. If you lock them, you can't unlock them yourself because yeah. that's a one-way thing. So yeah. until you know 100%, okay, it's time to lock them. You don't want to make the, like, what, what would have happened if you'd lock them? And then you had to fix a smart contract because it was wrong. Yeah. You'd have to redo again. Yeah. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. And, and also the other thing is that I still hold the meeting key of the Synthetify token. And this is down the line to implement the inflation. So right, right now, you know, like <laughs> I'm, let's say, in a position that if I want to, you know, get, you know, new Synthetify token, there is no reason for me to like get them from reserves or other, you know, parts. I could just straight up meet them. Yeah, and and we've seen this happen with other products as well. Uh, so it's for anyone wondering, to be clear, what what's being outlined it isn't a rug pull. It's, for example, cope how to migrate their token, and there was a process where you had to go in, deposit your old tokens, and that would give you back the same number of new migrated cope tokens. It's it's a common practice for anyone who's wondering. But no, yeah, that that was lovely to understand and hear it from someone who's actually doing it. Yeah, great insight. I do have questions more specific about the token allocations and the creation of a token early on in the project, because I agree fully with the centralization of a project when it first launches. It should be the developer that remains the captain of the ship until the ship is in the right direction and it gathers the correct community. And then you can trust to hand over that decision making onto 
this community, right? To take the project forward in the right way to the same vision that you had. Um, and then it becomes a decentralized system. But why create a token early on in the project and not specifically in the case of Synthetify, because it's multi-collateral, so the protocol can still work without the SNY token, right? And you could still raise money outside, like without the token itself. You could sell, for example, I don't know, it's not going to be equity, but it's going to be future tokens whenever that gets allocated. It could also be NFTs or it could be just revenue percentage. Yeah. Like if that makes sense to revenue. And yeah, so I know your question. Why release the token if you kind of don't need this? And the stuff, I think we're at the point that we needed a token. Our idea was that we are a single collateral and we need a token. And that's why we basically released the token because, you know, our main idea, even if you read a white paper, this is like, hey, it's single collateral. So that's why I decided like, hey, we need this token a little bit earlier before the platform because we need an Oracle, we need a liquidity for this token. And you cannot build this like straight on a launch. And, you know, I, I also wanted to like get some integration, like for example, with Radium as we did or with Orca as we are going to do in next week or this week even. So that's what was my idea. And like after the token released, there was like a period that, hey, you know, the platform is ready, our token is live, uh, we need the Oracle. And at some point the PIF uh, Oracles were not ready to accept other assets or they were just not live on the mainnet. So I decided like, hey, maybe we should wait a little bit, expand Synthetify into different directions and just be ready when other people are ready. Like, for example, also the Audit and the Oracle. So that's like my idea why the token, you know, showed up. I don't think this was, you know, like bad decision to release it. I think it gave, you know, people like ability to, let's say, you know, buy something like in some kind of pre-sale or something like that because the platform wasn't live you know uh, there was not much of a news about us so if someone was interested he could you know jump into the discord see the beta version the test version and just experience and then decide you know the market was free have ability to like join the token instead of like getting into uh, as we did in let's say this launch of the apes you know uh, you know everybody tried to you know buy in the same time and probably it, it wasn't you know great experience for anybody yeah, if you give give to the people like some period of time where you have ability to make decision to experience the product even the test version then they probably going to you know make much more rational decision yeah fair I mean, there's there's different ways to go about it, and and each person is gonna have a different, you know, optimal solution in regards to their opinion as to how a token launch should be, and it's completely fair. My second question is regarding the allocations, because as I'm looking at the allocations, I can't help but notice honestly that the community is getting access to about 11.6% of the supply in between the IEO, IDO, which was 1%, and then liquidity mining, which, which was, you know, 10.6%. You, you did say that it would increase, but it seems like, first of all, before I, I ask further, <laughs> the diff, what's the difference between the ecosystem reserves and the ecosystem incentivized fund? 
Yeah, so the ecosystem reserves are, let's say, tokens that are designed to expand, let's say, our directly platform. So for example, if you want to move to another chain, we want to release a new product, that's probably where those tokens are going to be allocated. And the other one is to more integrate with that with ecosystem. So for example, if you want to connect with other protocols, like probably we are going to connect with some stable swaps, then those tokens are going to be handy uh, here. But yeah, I wouldn't say that, you know, those are strict percentages. Those are just, you know, let's say outlines how it I'm going to look at this. But for me, lines are really blurry. If I need to, you know, allocate more tokens here, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do everything that I can to basically push SynthetPy uh, forward. And, you know, yeah. just holding to like this Saint Grail of weight paper is probably no, not of a great idea. I, I already yeah. diverged from that. Because because my, my criticism here, very I'm just going to be brutally honest here, my criticism here is that the majority of the tokens are not going towards the community. But also, the second point is, which is why I mentioned the release of the token being so early, is that there isn't that much of a community yet around Synthetify, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's 20% to the team, 50% in between ecosystem incentivized fund and reserves, the private sale being six times larger than the IEO, IDO, which is to the general public. So... In the future, again, I know, I know, like a son of my business, I'm not, re- I'm not a contributor to Synthetify, but if I am to suggest any- anything, it is to airdrop a large portion or increase the liquidity mining. So either increasing the liquidity mining percentage or airdropping it to token to platform user users later down the line, like after 12 to 18 months, because that would make it a much more fair allocation, in my opinion, where where more than 50% of the tokens make it into the hands of the community and users rather than, you know, the team investors. Yeah, I I have like, let's say one counterpoint. In most of the cases, early investors get like, uh, let's say, huge, insane discounts and barely any lockup periods, or there is no even a lockup period. Uh, On Synthetify, everything is like public. And vesting is actually smart contract uh, enforced. So there is no way for any investor to get any of the tokens like earlier. And if you compare it, like, let's say with like a platform, actually amount of the tokens that investors are going to get uh, is barely any uh, when the liquidity mining is starting. So on a launch, there was zero tokens from team from investors mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that, are, that were in initial uh, radium liquidity mining so users were just the ideal users have full ability and full control over that and when the platform launches i think there is going to be just one unlock and one unlock means one sixteenth of the tokens that are allocated so it's I think it's pretty much really close what I was aiming for. So if you compare those two numbers, community still holds like the majority of the token at any point in time. I mean, that is until the the vesting periods sort of end. I'm talking out of the total supply. If you compare this to to like full periods of time, then, then yeah, but you need to consider that Investors need four years to, to get their tokens. And this is quite a long in, uh, in crypto, uh, whereas the purchases of the IDO or just the people that are 
basically buying them from uh, an exchange can you know sell them buy them and any point yeah, in yeah time. i know so what w- one second so the way i see it what what you're saying Norbert, is that if we look at it the reserves and the incentivized fund that 50 percent is indefinitely locked like it's not going to hit the market anytime soon because we still need development yeah. until that can even be thought of releasing okay yeah is that linear percent it's quarterly uh unlocked. yeah so it's, it's exact. So it's 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 linear Robert. unlocks even even for the ecosystem reserves and incentivized fund. No, no, no. This those aren't locked at the moment. Those are kept on the side. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Robert. So that fifty percent is just you have that, and that will be given to the DAO whenever the DAO is ready for it. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I put some you know balance of amounts of those like let's say that can be used, but they are not let's say locked uh, via smart contract. And, you know, this is just yeah. done for, like, uh, let's say, convenience uh, of mine. But, yeah, yeah. definitely I am not looking forward to, like, let's say, flood the supply of those tokens. Majority of those tokens are going to be first used for development or they are going to you yeah. to be, you know, uh, end up in a DAO. There, there is no way I am going to, like, that, uh, you yeah, know, exactly. end up selling them the, because I need those money. Yeah, uh, that's an I, important yeah. uh, point about them going to a DAO eventually. Right. But wait, so you have 50%, which is kept on the side. And then the remaining 50%, 20% of that as team. So you have 30%, which is effectively being sold, is available on the market, correct? That could be potentially at any point. From that remaining 30%, 6% is to the investors and then 11% is to the community. Yeah. Not a lo- 11, so there's yeah. some point... Based on what I'm seeing, there's 10.6% liquidity mining, 10% the, to the debt pool, 1% IDO, and 2.4% exchange liquidity. So the broader community, the general public, assuming they can't access private rounds, is roughly around 11.6%, assuming, ex- assuming no, no changes Which in the liquidity is- mining percentages, obviously. Yeah, but that, that's a third of the actual circulating supply or the available supply because 70% is effectively kept by the team at the moment and will be given to DAO. Uh, so you really only have 30% and the community gets 11%. So it's like a third each, which, you know, as long as the DAO gets that big chunk of tokens, it's fine. I, I, at least I don't see any problem now that, now that I get the full yeah, idea. I, I don't want to be the, the, <laughs> the annoying guy here, but not having them lock because at the end of the day crypto is all about trustlessness right i mean yeah. especially when there's a token and that token is already some of it is in the hands of the public right and as it should be tr- a trustless system people shouldn't have to be trusting any single individual or group of people to not sell something but rather being completely unable to sell it if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah so uh- I think like if at some point there is going to be like voices, hey, Norbert, you got control over that. Why don't you, you know put it in a smart contract and you know, let's say keep everybody safe at the night? You know, my always let's say counter argument like, hey, but I still hold the meeting key. And you know, like you kinda are forced to trust me, especially because we are so early in a project. I think I already, you know, the tokenomics really evolved and I will probably talk a little bit later if you guys want. But for me, like, this is just 
an overview how this is going to probably look like. I don't want to say that, hey, this is strict how this looks like. This is definitely not some kind of scheme to enrich the VCs <laughs> or somebody. Since, yeah. you know, if you guys see at the, you know, the vesting rules that we put up in Synthetify, they are much more strict than any of the projects on Solana. Uh, we are probably in comparison with like Xeo in terms of like how the distribution uh, looks like uh, for investors. And, you know, I my the, first idea is... Sorry, to, but before, my, my question here is just to compare, I know at what stage do projects, do developers not have any control over projects? Because like you're being very transparent with where it stands at the moment. What projects are at the point where developers don't have a minky or can't do anything? Because it must be very few because all the projects are developing. Like with the Gen Apes they released, we saw them, they, you know, 800 and something got minted and then they had to redo the launch with another 10,000. So clearly that was, it might, they, it is now decentralized, but they can mint new apes or they could have until, you know, so comparatively, where does it stand compared to other projects in, in that regard? Um, yeah, I think we are way more transparent than others in terms of like how we are handling things. And also all like 95% of our source code is public. So anybody can, can look this up. And I, I think this is like exception. Most of the projects are keeping them, even though they are like, you no, know, on a blockchain, they are keeping a source code low source. And I think that's, that's a mistake. Uh, but if we get to like mm -hmm. a token point, I think even in like a middle of the projects, if the main developer team is like just stops or drop the project, you know, th this is basically as, as a, let's say, exit scam. They they don't need to, let's say, you know, mint or dump the market uh, or anything like do something with the token. But they are basically, you know, killing the whole idea of the token because they stop the product, stop the development. And I think th this is like, let's say, misconception. I think I'm more focused on a product and token is just, let's say, proxy to the product. At some point, it's all going to be yeah. decentralized via some kind of governance DAO. But we are not at this point yet. And there is like no reason for me to decentralize the platform and yeah. or decentralize the token no. itself. Those two things are really connected and they are probably going to be connected like forever. For me personally, like the way I see it, when you when you're willing to participate and have an opinion with your money on projects which are very early in development, I view it as a bet on the development team. I can't think of it as anything else because they can say whatever they want for to it will be etc cetera, etc. Cetera. To get to the point where you achieve all the things that are laid out in the white paper, it needs to go somewhere. So. That, that's the way I see it. And for me, that's why I don't really have a concern. I look to projects, what you said, if the code's open source, it helps. Are the GitHub comments, et cetera. At least for me personally, it's where I said, I stand by that any project that you invest in, you're betting on the developer team. And I think we saw, I, I, we were discussing this earlier this week, what was a project that had a really hyped raise with know your customer and then they had no developers on the team and now it's they don't have the Twitter account yet. I can't remember the name, but yeah, we had a project like that, which had know your customer, people signed up, gave personal data over, and then they just went, ah, shit, we don't have a developer, and that was the death of it. So from me, I, I get where it's coming from, and as long as you know you have good intentions, yeah. 
I feel I don't I don't think I don't I'm not saying nor do I think that you or the remainder of the developer team is you know the bad guy here by any means but I do suggest if you know that holds any weight I do suggest that these not decentralizing but locking up uh, at least a portion of that unlocked supply and making it vested in smart contracts in addition to increasing the community allocation would go a long way over the long term for Synthetify, specifically because the token has been released. Yeah, but no, look, I just I just realized something funny about that. If What happens if the contract you lock it up has a uh, bug in it so it can be exploited? And wouldn't but, isn't a wallet holding it on a wallet safer than but holding that, it on a contract? That's a uh, discussion. But, yeah, I'm not a I'm not a coder, so I can't really comment myself. But isn't that sort of a very standard contract? And having a bug in it is quite unlikely, given the low complexity of it. Yeah, so you know, like on Ethereum, there was already like try and error. So you probably remember that you know the whole Ethereum classic uh, part of is just because there was you know some kind of you know DAO, which is basically kind of a vesting. Uh, that you know <laughs> was cracked and, and you know somebody stole the money. So here on Solana, there is you know uh, Bonfida created that uh, vesting, and, and as I mentioned, you know we actually used uh, version one, and version one got a bug in it, and I needed to migrate to the version two. So you know all the tokens of the team members and investors are in this vesting, but there is just no reason for putting those other tokens there because. You know, you still kind of have, you know, the company as a Synthetify Labs have access to them. And also we have a minting key. So there is just yeah, no reason to put additional risk if we basically still have like access to those tokens via other measures. Fair. Um, appreciate your transparency there, uh, Norbert. Yes, me too. It's always great to have uh, people be honest about how they're doing it and explaining it to their investors because it doesn't happen every time. And I also wonder, Norbert, we talked a lot about Synthetify now, but are there any other projects on Solana you're excited about? I'm excited about? Uh, definitely, I think that uh, stuff that, you know, the Radium guys, the Orca, the Saber guys are doing, there are, like, let's say right now, let's say still kind of copies what is happening on Ethereum, but you see that they are quickly evolving uh, listing new assets, adding some features. And I think this is really proving that, hey, we can do something better. I think Solana whole as an ecosystem is at some point that, hey, we build this basic infrastructure uh, that is needed for a DeFi. And now we are starting to really innovate and add additional products. Uh, I'm definitely, you know, really interested and impressed by the PIF network and the Oracle solution. For me, this is a really game changer. And just because, you know, that PIF uh, got so much, a lot of like uh, partnerships with like both like uh, crypto native, both exchanges and other like uh, entities that can provide prices. But all, all. Yeah, they've had a NASDAQ on, haven't they? They've had a lot of market makers from NASDAQ jump yeah, trading and yeah. others. Yeah, jump and trading uh, signed up and a few others as well. Them. Yes. Yeah, and those people also provide prices of their real stocks that we could really, as a synthetify, leverage and bring them to the crypto native uh, market. And I think this is going to be much better solution than chaining on Ethereum. Not only talking about like the performance, 
but also like the quality of the prices and how they are delivered to the uh, to the network. <laughs> Funny story is that actually, if you want to like get a constant feed from a you know let's say Nasdaq or other exchanges, you need to pay for it to to get like immediate updates. Mm. Whereas you kind of can subscribe on a Fifth Oracle right now and get this from free in Solana. So that's, that's interesting. And my other question was to uh, move back a bit to Synthetify. If we're looking at the future of Synthetify, what are some of the things we can expect in the coming months? Definitely, we are right now two weeks uh, before the audit. And if everything goes well on the audit, we are probably going to launch within a week after that. So that's our like main goal. And then we are going to start add, let's say, new features and also new collaterals, new synthetic assets. That's what we are interested. We are actually working on two new features. One is called a swap line uh, and other is called a vault. And swap line is going to allow really quick access to any synthetic asset on basically without, you know, entering a debt pool or exchanging them on a secondary market. So, for example, you could you would be able to exchange USDC to synthetic USD directly on a Synthetify. And this will mm-hmm. also bring way more price stability to the synthetic assets. In terms of like synthetics, you often have like that the synthetic itself is trading on some premium or discount and no one is arbitraging it. And this is going to be a you know much uh, easier and straightforward solution to that. And other feature called Vault is going to allow us to get much more closer collateral ratio. I think like about 110%. So you will be able to deposit 110 USDC and get uh, 100 synthetic USD because of that. So it will be, you know, also additional improvement over the, you know, the standard collateralization ratio that is going to be in a, uh, in a debt pool. And this feature also will allow shorting. So everything that is going to be listed on Synthetify is going to be shortable using that. Are you going to be shorting it with an inverse pair or? No, I think we think that short, using an inverse tokens is bad solution to shorting. So we have other solution to that. I'm not saying that this is going to be released in an MVP. This is something that we are right now working I don't think this is going to be available on a launch, but down the line, mm. uh, it, we are already working on it. And, you know, we kind of finished the designs, you know, uh, already a uh, week ago and we started implementing it. Yes. And I wondered about the audits you mentioned, which are a bit closer uh, to now than the shorting. Where are you getting your uh, code audited? And are there like a lot of auditors on Solana yet, or are they still? having to go on Solana because they're more on Ethereum than Solana, obviously. Yeah, so getting an audit on on Solana is probably a a complex thing. First thing is that auditors are not familiar with uh, with the ecosystem and there is no, let's say, established firm that is doing that. And it's just new ecosystem. So (laughs) even auditors don't know like the security measures or like how it should work. So they might not be even aware how the Solana works and some, you know, security issues that might come up. So we decided to go with Solana, actually, auditors. 
so we we picked uh, the auditors that you know basically audited whole Solana, you know, blockchain and also SPL token. And I think this is probably a best solution since we are already picking guys that are familiar with the uh, Solana ecosystem uh, and they have experience with that. And as it turns out, you know, the SPL token is so far a safe program. So I'm very happy. Yeah, and that is a traditional audit firm, right? Not a crypto native. Yeah, it's it's called Kudelski, and it's company from uh, Switzerland. And yeah, they've been probably connected with like Solana from the beginning. We are actually, you know, connected with them, you know, thanks to the Solana. Yeah, it's great to hear because uh, we don't ha- we we haven't seen a lot of auditors yet, but it's uh, nice to see you have picked uh, one that's established already worked with Solana. So. I'm uh, hoping everything will go well there for you. Yeah, I'm honestly optimistic. Of course, you know, the SynthetPy, as I see, is much complex system than, you know, just simple borrowing or, or lending protocol. And there is much more stuff that we need to look for. And also, I think the development of, of the SynthetPy took a little bit longer than I expected. But at the point that we are right now, I'm super confident with the product that we got. We are actually going to launch like the final version of the MVP in like next week. So you guys could, you know, take a look at that, how it's going to look uh, on a mainnet. Yeah, I'm uh, really excited about yeah, that. I, I was just going to say, I was playing around with the test net today. I got some sol off the force and I deposited and everything. So I'm excited to see it when it, when it launches and I'll be... I'll be adding it to the dApps I use for myself. I was, uh, the other day, I was also thinking, I just wanted your opinion on this. So you know how you said the synthetic assets transferable with SPL. So if I was to deposit USDC in mint synthetic sol, could I then use that synthetic sol for an NFT drop? Yeah, that's no problem. So the, the reason I ask is, for example, if if you need capital, you could theoretically... Would you have interest rates? Like, is there a time limit on how long you can hold the synthetic asset for until you have to uh, pay it? Yeah, so if you are going to use a vault, yeah, there is going to be an interest rate. Okay, right. Yeah. If, so, if you buy yeah, the, uh, just fine. directly a synthetic asset from a secondary market, then yeah, there is no limit. Like, the, the interest rate is on a, like, let's say this loan that we are creating, not on an asset yeah, itself. Yeah, I see. Okay, yeah, that's interesting because I've been I was looking at like mango markets for that, and it's something which I'm not sure you can do because the the idea behind this is if you need collateral, you need further capital, and you want to stock up on an on an NFT drop, for example, you take out a loan, use it to buy the NFT drop, sell it on the secondary market, repay the loan, and keep the profit. And I haven't seen anyone. It's it's like Solana's version of a flash loan. That, that's why yeah, I think of it as it, it will be possible even with like the, let's say even without using a vault you can you know deposit to the depth pool and get this you know any synthetic asset that you that you want and use it for any of the reason that you want so yeah it's definitely possible no nice nice I'm go- I'm gonna try that on the for the next time I, I do an nft thing I'm really interested now now that's my little project tonight <laughs> lovely yeah um, maybe I, I just you know reminded myself that I mentioned that we diverged a little bit from a white paper 
And this is connected to like the tokenomics and how token is going to be used. So as I mentioned, we kind of killed the whole idea of the single collateral. So let's say we took a major hit into that token utility, but we gave multiple additional ones. And, and I would like to, you know, elaborate about like other utilities. So for example, we added a discount. So if you are often swap synthetic assets, yeah. you get a discount for holding a synthetic pie. And this could be especially leveraged by some, you know, aggregators or uh, that will hold large quantities of SNY and get insane discounts for that. And this will yeah. also incentivize some, you know, asset managements or index, you know, people that are building indexes to use a synthetic pie for that. This requires, of course, like people to use it. Like you'd, you'd need someone who's a high frequency trader or someone who's uh, scripting, you know, using a bot or a market maker to balance these things, like you said. So we need to see that implementation from another protocol, maybe, or, you know, it's what you said, I think, with the curve and the synthetics integration, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Like this you said, is, that, that was really like big for them. Example. That's what you're yeah. getting so at. In that case, you know, um, they basically have like a deal between a synthetics and curve, and not everybody have access to that deal. Uh, but in we, if we implement that, there is no special treatment for everybody. You just need to hold a token to do that. This opens like you know ability for a competition, so anybody could do that. And I think a, a curve is great example. So curve gives uh, you know uh, ability to you know use their token to get the boost. And we have right now like like the let's say battle between the yearn and convex about like a dominance. Yeah, I see. I see. I myself, I don't have any other questions. Uh, I really enjoyed having you on and thank you for answering everything so transparently. Yeah, it yeah. was a pleasure to meet you guys. And uh, I'm happy that I was able to, you know, get you guys familiar and interested in Synthetify. Yeah, I yeah, learned but... uh, a lot about the protocol and I think Kareem and Bill and me all had our questions about it answered. So I'm very happy about that. Yeah, it was a pleasure having you on, Norbert. And thank you for your transparency. So thanks for listening, guys. Next podcast, we will have Zeta Markets on, another Solana protocol, which Norbert probably also knows. It's for uh, option trading. I'm very excited about that as well. And if you're interested in a pro membership or want to learn more about crypto or DeFi, make sure to check out Cryptonary. And if you want to learn more about Synthetify, make sure to check out their website and their Medium posts or any other info can be found on their Discord.